0: Hello, friend, and welcome to another herb review. This time we're going over the category Herbs That Cool the Blood. Herbs That Cool the Blood. So let me make sure my my music is turned off. I had problems with that last time. So as always, if you want to uh, follow along with the slides, those are available on the website at TCMStudy.net. You can download some slides. You can download some flashcards and follow along. But here we are doing the category herbs that cool the blood, and so like always we're going to go over what does it mean to cool the blood, we're treating blood heat, what does blood heat look like, this is also going to include a brief review of Wenbing theory, because that's what we're using these herbs for, and then we'll go over the individual herbs in this category, and this is a fairly short category, so hopefully it will go through pretty quick, but here's what we're talking about, herbs that cool the blood, So if you remember, we're kind of in a big category here called herbs that clear heat. This is our second category in single herbs, our second major category, and we have all these subcategories. Herbs that drain fire, cool the blood, clear heat and dry dampness, different types of heat in different parts of the body. So what we're talking about today is herbs that cool the blood. So kind of no surprise, herbs that cool the blood, we're treating heat in the blood or blood level heat. So what does that mean, heat in the blood or blood level heat, or what does that look like? Well, basically, our main symptom we're treating here is bleeding, that when we get heat in the blood, it can cause bleeding. And kind of our explanation for this is, remember, heat causes things to speed up. So when heat gets into the blood, it causes the blood to speed up. It turns out when we have enough heat there, the blood can speed up so much that it begins to move recklessly or frenetically or chaotically outside of the vessels. The blood is moving so fast, it can't be contained in the vessels. It moves outside of the vessels, and we call that bleeding. And so that's one of our main symptoms of blood-level heat, is this bleeding due to the chaotic movement of blood. And so just to be clear, we we should really explain that this type of bleeding is not the same as bleeding due to injury and trauma. So if I fall on the pavement and scrape my knee and it starts bleeding, that's not bleeding due to heat. That's not blood level heat. If somebody comes up behind me and stabs me in the shoulder and I start bleeding, that's bleeding due to injury and trauma. That is not bleeding due to heat. And I kind of like to point this out because sometimes you, you see these acupuncturists that they'll needle an acupuncture point. And then when they go to remove the needle, some blood will come out. And then the acupuncturist will say to the patient, oh, that's a good thing. That means we're releasing heat. The fact that the point bled, that means you have internal heat and we're releasing that heat. And that's, I don't think that's really the case. I think really uh, if you needle an acupuncture point and it starts bleeding, that's not due to heat in the blood. That's because you stab someone with a sharp metal object that a sharp metal object went into their blood vessel, ruptured the blood vessel and caused bleeding. And that's not the same as bleeding due to heat. So that's just a weird thing I like to mention. So we're not talking about bleeding due to injury and trauma. What type of bleeding are we talking about? When here when we say blood level heat, we're talking more about internal bleeding. So think about things like nosebleed, vomiting blood, coughing up blood, blood in the urine, blood in the stool, even bloodshot eyes. Um, so not more about somebody stabbed you and I started bleeding. This is more think about somebody has tuberculosis and they start coughing up blood. That could be bleeding due to heat. Say somebody has a dysentery, a diarrhea dysentery, and now they have blood in the stool. That could be bleeding due to heat. Um, if somebody has a urinary tract infection and they have this frequent, painful, urgent urination, but they have blood in the urine, one possibility is bleeding due to heat. That's what we mean by blood-level heat. Probably the most common one that we'll see in clinic is this can also include uh, issues with menstruation, so women's health issues. Uh, So Bensky will often use the term uterine bleeding, and people will be like, what does that mean, uterine bleeding? Well, here we're just talking about abnormal bleeding during or around menses. So if a patient has really heavy periods, we could say, oh, that's bleeding due to heat. Uh, don't quote me on this, but I think the normal amount is um, uh, a woman on her period. We expect to see like 30 to 100 milliliters per day. I guess if you have a diva cup, you can actually like measure how many milliliters. But anyway, if it's uh, if a patient complains of very heavy periods, they have to change their pads really often. They have a lot of bleeding. One possibility is this is bleeding due to heat. If we have prolonged periods, a normal period, we say. Three to five days, maybe up to seven days. But say a patient comes in and says, "My period is lasting eight or nine days." We could say that's a bleeding condition, and it might be bleeding due to heat, uh, spotting between periods. Uh, kind of like day 14 of the period, I get some spotting. That could be that's a bleeding condition, and one possibility is bleeding due to heat. So that's what we mean when we say bleeding. We're not talking about bleeding due to injury and trauma. We're not talking, I fell and scraped my knee. We're not talking somebody stabbed me and now there's blood coming out of this wound. That's not what we mean. We mean types of internal bleeding. And if you remember your medical terminology, you remember that all these have fancy names. We have things like epistaxis, nosebleed, hemoptysis, coughing up blood, hematomesis, vomiting blood, uh, hematuria, blood in the urine, hematochezia, blood in the stool, uh, profuse menses is menorrhagia, uh, spotting between periods is metrorhagia. So we have all these fancy terms, but those are the types of bleeding that we're talking about. And when in this category, because we're talking about uh, clearing heat from the blood, these uh, herbs that cool the blood... This is especially applicable when we talk about blood level heat in terms of Wen-Bing theory. So when we talk about this category, herbs that cool the blood, we kind of have to talk about Wen-Bing theory and do a little bit of review of that. So let's kind of re- review Wen Bing. So remember when we talked about Wen Bing theory, we said when it comes to febrile diseases, there are two schools of thought. There's the cold damage school and the warm disease school. The cold damage school was uh, Shang Han Lun, written by Zhong, Zhong Ding, where he said febrile diseases are caused by cold pathogens penetrating the body through the six levels Taiyang Yang Ming Xiaoyang, Shaoyin, Xiaoyin Juian. Kind of our competing theory was Yi Tian Shu came along quite a bit later, and said that no, febrile diseases are caused by heat pathogens penetrating the body through the four levels or the four aspects, wei level, qi level, ying level, and shui level. And so that's what we're talking about when we're in this category, herbs that clear heat. We're, of course, talking about the heat school of thought with these febrile diseases. So if you remember, we already talked about a way level heat. Way we can say way level or the defense aspect. Way means defense. And heat at the way level is basically an external attack of wind heat. So if you remember, we talked about that. We had things like simultaneous fever and chills. But because it's wind heat, it's going to be more fever and less chills. Dry mouth, cough, sore throat was one of our key symptoms for an attack of wind heat, how we differentiate wind heat from wind cold. Uh, we might see things like eye problems, dry, red, itchy eyes. We might see certain types of rashes. We talked about like early stage measles. The pulse is going to be floating because it's an external attack. This is a very superficial level. So we feel the pulse on the surface and the pulse is going to be rapid because we're dealing with heat. So again, way level heat is basically an external attack of wind heat. And the, and we use the category cool acrid herbs that release the exterior herbs like sangye, juhua or or If you're in formulas, our formula there was sangjuyin, mulberry and chrysanthemum decoction. So, way level heat, pretty much the same, is basically an external attack of wind heat. If this heat attacks that superficial level, the way level or the defense aspect, and we're not able to get rid of it, it can penetrate deeper. When it gets deeper into the body, its next step is the qi-level. And so remember when we said chi level, uh, qi level in Wen Bing is the same as Yangming channel heat in the Shanghan Lun. And so here our symptoms were the four bigs: big fever, big sweat, big thirst and vexation, and a big pulse, meaning a rapid, surging pulse. So for the for heat at the qi level, we used herbs from the category herbs that drain fire, specifically herbs like Shergao, gypsum fibrosum. And Jermu, anamorain we, we tend to use these two herbs together. And the formula here is Baihu white tiger decoction. So remember, we this had a very beautiful name that the white tiger is associated with the metal phase and the season of autumn and the direction of the west. So it's like you have all this heat in the body and this cool autumn breeze is coming in to clear that heat away. So that's Bai Hutong white tiger decoction. Or our single herbs were Shurgao and Jermu. But let's say you have this heat in the Qi level, and it's, I mean, heat pathogens tend to go very rapidly. Uh, they, they penetrate, you know, heat is very young, it has a lot of energy, it tends to penetrate very quickly. So let's say it got through the Wei level, it got through the Qi level, and now it's going even deeper in the body. Its next stop is the ying level. Ying, we can translate as the nutritive level. Uh, I believe Bensky says nutritive, and Nigel Weissman says construction. So either the nutritive level or the construction aspect is the ying level. So if you remember um, when we talked in the very beginning, when we talked about we talked about harmonizing the ying and the wei, harmonizing the nutritive and defense levels, This is the same thing. When you talk about yin, qi, the nutritive qi, this is what we're talking about here. So we're at the yin level or the nutritive level. Here now, the heat is getting pretty deep indeed. So what are we going to see when we get to the yin level? Well, we're going to see high fever that worsens at night. So of course, we're going to have fever because this is a heat condition. Worse at night is a sign that the yin is being damaged. And so this is something that we'll see a lot when we talk about uh, either heat damaging the fluids or when you talk about yin deficiency. Sometimes you'll see the symptom fever that's worse at night. And the idea here is nighttime is the yin time of day. So if the yin is deficient or the yin has been damaged by heat, the fever will be worse during that yin time of day. So that's why we say high fever that's Worse at night is a sign that this heat is starting to dry out the yin fluids. We might see things like irritability, restlessness, and insomnia. These are types of shen disturbance. This is a sign that the heat is getting into the heart and disturbing the shen. And then we might see possible faint rashes. We'll say faint or indistinct rashes is that this heat is kind of coming up to the surface. And then what's interesting here is we say a dry scarlet tongue, dry again because the heat is uh, burning up the fluids and damaging the yin fluids. And then it's interesting that we say a scarlet is like a deep red tongue. And this is interesting because we don't necessarily mention the tongue at the other two levels, that if you have an external attack of wind heat, you may or may not see changes in the tongue. Chi level heat, you might have a red tongue. but Generally, these levels are superficial enough that you might not see a change in the tongue. But when you get to the ying level, here the heat is deep enough that it definitely starts to affect the tongue. And so that's why we say a scarlet tongue. I feel like some people say scarlet and some people say crimson, and I'm not good enough with colors to know the difference. But I, I assume this is like a deep color red. But let's say we get to the – we're at this yin level. The heat is at the ying level, the nutritive level, or the construction aspect. And again, this heat moves very quickly. Let's say we didn't get to it in time or our treatment didn't work and the heat moves deeper into the level, uh, deeper into the body. Well, our final level is the shui level. Here, shui means blood. So we're at the blood level or the blood aspect. And now the heat is very deep indeed. And so um, – really ying level heat and shui level heat are very similar, but it's just a different level of intensity. So we're going to see a lot of the the similar things like fever and um, certain types of shen problems like irritability, restlessness. But now we're going to see instead of possible rashes or indistinct faint rashes, we're going to see definite distinct rashes. We're also going to see, uh, like we said, Uh, our key symptom of heat of the blood level is bleeding. So things like nosebleed, vomiting blood, blood in the urine, blood in the stool. And actually, when we talk about these rashes, sometimes we say maculopapular rashes, or we say purpuric rashes, purpuric. I actually had to look this up. Let's see if we can uh, figure out what purpuric means. Purpura also called blood spots or skin hemorrhage, refers to a purple colored spots that are most recognizable on the skin. I feel like I had a better definition before. But we can also see these types of rashes called purpura or purpuric rashes. And basically this, it looks like a rash. It looks like a purple rash, but it's basically bleeding under the skin. Again, it's this type of bleeding that the blood is moving frenetically or chaotically outside of the vessels. So we have this bleeding under the skin but it looks like a purple rash. So that's another kind of symptom of bleeding where we might want to use herbs that cool the blood. And then we see a scarlet tongue with prickles. We can say prickles or thorns. Those are two different words that mean the same thing. And basically that's kind of like the heat's so bad you have a rash on your tongue. That you have prickles on your tongue. And a thin rapid pulse. Again, rapid because of the heat. Thin is a sign that the yin fluids are being damaged. So these yin and shui levels are actually kind of similar. They just vary in their intensity. Uh, One major way we differentiate them is the shui level is going to have outright bleeding. But it turns out to treat these levels, we use similar herbs, where for both of these levels, we use herbs that cool the blood. And so when we look at this category, herbs that cool the blood, you know, like, yes, obviously these treat blood level heat but they also treat ying level or shui, uh, ying level or nutritive level heat as well. So these herbs are treating both of these levels. It's just how we combine the herbs is going to be a little bit different, and we'll talk about that more later. So when we look at herbs that cool the blood, we can look at the basic properties here. The taste is going to be bitter and sweet and possibly salty. So bitter should make sense. Remember, the bitter flavor clears heat and drains fire. So all of these clear heat herbs are going to be bitter in flavor. And then sweet, I think we mentioned this before, that it's very common that we have heat starts to damage the fluids and cause dryness and thirst. And so very conveniently, a lot of these herbs are sweet in flavor because they moisten dryness or generate fluids. And so that's going to be the case here, that we're going to see a lot of these herbs in this category also have an action of tonifying yin or generating fluids or moistening dryness. And that's why they're sweet in flavor. So bitter and sweet is very common for this category. The salty flavor is interesting because there are a couple of ways we can explain this. Because if you remember when we talked about uh, in the very beginning, we said um, the salty flavor does a couple things. One, just by tradition, anything that's an animal part we tend to mark salty in flavor. And it turns out we do have a few herbs in this category that are animal parts, they're animal horns. And so because they're part of an animal, they're salty in flavor. I think we saw this in the la- in two categories ago when we had Chantwe, cicada skin. Because it's an insect or animal part, it's marked salty in flavor. So that's one thing is just by tradition, uh, animal parts are salty and we have a few of those. Remember, we also said that the salty flavor has an action of softening hardness. So we're going to see one or two herbs with this action of softening hardness, and that's why we call it salty in flavor. But another one, which is kind of weird, is Bensky tends to make these statements that the salty flavor goes to the blood level. And I'll admit this was really confusing to me at first, because when you look at the introduction of Bensky and he goes through the the five flavors, he doesn't mention this at all. He just says salty flavor is softening hardness, salty flavor goes to the kidney, and he leaves it at that. But when we start looking at the commentary of the individual herbs, he'll often make this comment that uh, this herb is salty and the salty flavor goes to the blood level. So apparently this was another aspect of the salty flavor that I was not aware of until I started digging through that part of Bensky. So that's going to be uh, another kind of attribute of these herbs. And so maybe you can just think that blood is salty, so salty herbs go to the blood level. So that's going to be common taste uh, of this category. Of, cur- of course, these herbs are going to be cold in temperature. We're clearing heat. We're clearing blood level heat, so they're going to be cold in temperature. Entering channels are gonna be, common ones are gonna be liver and heart. And so basically, anytime an herb has anything to do with the blood, it tends to enter the liver channel because the liver stores blood. So anything to do with blood enters the liver channel. So in this case, clearing blood level heat, a lot of these herbs have, you know, we're treating bleeding conditions, so that's another blood thing. But even beyond this category, when you talk about stop bleeding, invigorating blood, tonifying blood, anything to do with blood, that herb enters the liver channel. So here, since we're cooling the blood, these herbs enter the liver channel. Also enter the heart channel, you can think that you can think that the heart also has to do with blood, that the heart organ governs the blood vessels, the heart moves the blood. But we can also think about when we talked about those symptoms of yin level heat and shui level heat. One of our symptoms were shen disturbance, things like irritability, insomnia, even delirious speech. Your fever is so bad, you start speaking incoherently. You're delirious. And so these are signs that the heat is affecting the heart. So it makes sense that these herbs enter the heart channel and clear out that heart heat as well. So we're going to see liver channel and heart channel. Cautions and contraindications. Of course, we're in a clear heat category. We're dealing with cold herbs cold herbs can damage the spleen. So we have to be careful about the cold, bitter nature of these herbs damaging the spleen. So we wanna make sure that we're using them appropriately and we wanna be careful about using them long-term. And again, in terms of their main action, these herbs clear heat from the yin and shui levels. So again, in terms of Wen-Bing theory, we have the four levels or the four aspect, Wei level, Qi level, yin level, shui, uh, shui level. And so with these, these herbs, we're dealing with the last two levels, the yin level and the shui level. And then, like we said, that um, when we get this heat at the blood level, it's very easy for it to damage the yin. And we even see saw that in the signs and symptoms. We saw things like um, a, a thin pulse, a dry tongue. These are signs of fever that's worse at night. These are signs that the heat is damaging the yin. So very conveniently, these herbs are often sweet in flavor, meaning that they can tonify in or replenish those fluids that have been damaged by heat. So that's something that we'll want to look for as well. So again, the actual herbs, We this, again, this is a very short category. The first one actually doesn't count. We don't use that one. So there's only four or five herbs in this category. Very short category, easy to get through. Let's start with the first one, which is one we don't use, is Xijiao. Rhinoceratus cornu. Xijiao. Xijiao. Xijiao is rhinoceros horn. Obviously, we do not use rhinoceros horn anymore. It's an endangered species, so this this, uh, medicinal has been moved to the category obsolete substances, that we don't use it anymore because it's an endangered animal. However, I still want to talk about it just because it um, kind of gives some historical context because when you talk about yin-level heat and shui-level heat, uh, traditionally this is what they used. And when you get into our formula class, we're going to see formulas that are named after this, and we'll talk about that again at the end. But xijiao, rhinoceros horn, nowadays we substitute water buffalo horn, which is our next one. But they're similar enough, so let's talk about it now. We can say that shi jiao, like everything in this category, it clears heat and cools the blood, specifically for ying level heat or shui level heat. Or we could say nutritive aspect or blood aspect heat. And again, with all those signs and symptoms that we talked about: fever that worsens at night, possible shen problems, irritability, restlessness, insomnia, delirium, uh, and then either rashes, either distinct or indistinct rashes. And we get into the blood level actual bleeding, scarlet tongue, so all those signs of blood-level heat, Xijiao clears out that blood-level heat. But notice that Jiao also enters the heart channel, and it can clear heart heat as well for things like Shen disturbance due to heat, delirium, mania, loss of consciousness. So again, this is really convenient because when we have that blood-level heat, that heat goes into the heart and creates Shen problems like irritability, restlessness, insomnia, uh, delirium, delirious speech, or in severe cases, loss of consciousness. So here, we're not only clearing that blood level heat, we're also clearing out that heat that gets into the heart as well. So that's convenient, and it's so good at stopping heat, it can all uh, clearing heat can it can also clear heat and stop tremors. So sometimes we talk about heat stirring up wind, um, febrile convulsions, and things like that. So it can also stop those tremors. So, when we look at the um, properties of this, Xijiao is, of course, cold in temperature because we're clearing heat. And like we said, it's bitter and salty. Bitter because it's clearing heat. Salty because it's an animal part. And just all types of animal parts tend to be salty in flavor in Chinese medicine. Enters the liver channel because it cools blood. Enters the heart channel because we're clearing out that heart heat. Stomach channel probably has to do with heat toxicity, but... Don't worry about that too much. The dosage is uh, quite small. This, is a, the, this would have been a very powerful herb, so we only use, need to use a very small amount of it. If we cooked it in decoction, we would use one and a half to six grams, or more likely we would grind it into a powder and swallow it as a powder. And so you just need a very small amount. And again, this is common when we're dealing with horns in Chinese medicine. The name, as for the name of this herb, Xi just means rhinoceros and jiao means horn. And it turns out we use a couple types of horns in Chinese medicine. So you'll see that jiao. So xi jiao is rhinoceros horn. Xuanyo jiao is water buffalo horn. Liu um, uh, jiao is deer antler or deer horn. Uh, yang, ling yang jiao is antelope horn. So you'll see the sort of jiao or cornu come up a bit. So xi jiao just means rhinoceros horn. And again... We don't use this anyone. We don't use this one anymore. Also, I just think it's it's kind of fun that we have a there's a rhinoceros emoji that I was able to use. But rhinoceros horn, we don't use this one anymore. So if we needed to use this herb, we would set instead substitute shui nyo jiao, water buffalo horn. Shui nyo jiao, water buffalo horn. And as we can see. All the actions are exactly the same. It clears heat and cools the blood for yin or nutritive level heat. It also enters the heart channel. It clears heart heat um, for that delirium, mania, or things that come along with blood level heat. And it can also uh, treat those tremors. I think here we just mean like febrile convulsions, that your fever is so high that you develop uh, shakiness, tremors, or convulsions. But what we should note here is uh, properties are the same. It's cold, bitter, and salty because it's still an animal part. Uh, But we can note here is the dosage is much larger. So before with rhinoceros horn, our dosage was one and a half to six grams. Here our dosage is 30 to 100 grams. And so that's just because normally when we have like heavy things like this, we use a smaller dosage. But it turns out that Jiao just isn't very good at what it does. And so in order to make it work, we have to use a very large dosage in order for it to work. So that's something to know about Xuanyu Jiao is it has a large dosage. That doesn't have to do with the fact that it's heavier light. It just has to do with the fact that it doesn't work so well. It's not very powerful. Rhinoceros horn, super powerful. Uh, Water buffalo, not so powerful. We got to use a larger dosage. So that's a Xuanyu Jiao, water buffalo horn. As for the name, shui just means water. Like when you talk about feng shui, like you're arranging your furniture, shui means water. When you talk about the water element, shui means water. So you can see that character there is the same as uh, the water element in the five phases. Nyo means uh, ox or cow, or in this case, buffalo. Nyo means ox. And so we saw that with the same character in Nyo Bangsa, Arctiae fructus and we'll see that in a, actually in a couple other herbs like niu xi ox knees and so niu means ox and again jiao means horn so shui niu jiao water cow horn and again i'm really impressed that uh, they have an emoji for water buffaloes i guess water buffaloes are common enough in china that they made it into an emoji so that's that's uh, these are kind of our major representative herbs for blood level heat in the wen bing Originally, it would have been Xi Jiao, rhinoceros horn. We don't use that anymore, so instead we use the substitute uh, Xue niao Jiao, water buffalo horn, for blood level heat in terms of the Wen Bing. Our next one is Sheng Di Huang, Romania Radix. Sheng Di Huang, Romania Radix. Sheng Di Huang. So, Shangdi Huang is Romania or Romania root. I want to say the English name is foxglove root. I'm not sure about that. I'm not familiar with this plant. I just call it Romania root. So, Shangdi Huang, uh, two major functions that we can talk about. First one, common in this category, is it clears heat and cools the blood. We're in the category herbs that cool the blood. This herb clears heat and cools the blood specifically for heat in the yin or shui levels. So for all those signs we talked about, high fever, worse at night, possible thirst, scarlet tongue, bleeding because the heat speeds up the blood and causes it to move chaotically outside of the vessels, all those symptoms of blood-level heat. And it turns out in a lot of our formulas for this blood-level heat, we combine Xi jiao plus sheng di huang. They kind of mutually reinforce each other, so it's very common to use these together. Either Xi jiao and sheng di huang or Shui niu jiao and sheng di huang used as a pair to treat yin level heat or blood level heat. So sheng di huang obviously cools the blood because that's the category we're in. But the second and maybe even might even say it's a more important function is that Shangdi Huang nourishes yin and generates fluids? And so it turns out, in the modern clinic, honestly, you might not be treating a lot of blood level heat. I mean, if a person comes into your clinic and they're like coughing up blood or blood is like spilling out of various orifices of the body, probably want to send them to the hospital. Don't, don't think about like, oh, which, which herb should I treat? You probably want to send them to the hospital. Uh, But what's really common is we do have a lot of formulas that are clearing heat, tonifying yin, or generating fluids. And it turns out we use sheng di huang as a major ingredient in those formulas. So when you start getting into formulas, it might be actually more common that you'll see sheng di huang in this way to tonify yin, nourish yin, nourish body fluids. And so that's gonna be a very important action of sheng di huang that we definitely wanna remember. So things are like, Thirst, dry mouth, constipation because of heat and dryness. So those are the things uh, we will see with Shengdi Huang. As for the properties, uh, it's of course cold in temperature because we're clearing heat. It's bitter in flavor because we're clearing heat. It's also, this is one that's sweet in flavor because again, it's nourishing yin and generating fluids. And that's an action of the sweet flavor. So that's what, something we want to remember about this one, is Shuang di Huang is bitter because, it, because of its first action, clear heat and cool the blood. It's sweet because of its second action, nourishing yin, generating fluids. Entering channels are kind of interesting. We say liver channel because it has to do with the blood. It's cooling the blood. We can say kidney channel because it's nourishing yin, and that belongs to the kidney. So this yin and this body fluids is kind of a kidney thing. The heart thing is interesting because we don't really mention it here, but Di Huang does also kind of have an action of clearing heart heat. And this is really annoying because when we look in our textbooks, uh, at least all the ones I've looked at, in the single herb books, it never mentions this function, it never says that Shangdi Huang as its as standalone function clears heart heat. However, when we get into our formula classes, we're gonna see that there are a couple formulas where Di Huang is there because it clears heart heat. And again, this makes sense. When we're when we're treating uh, shui-level heat, we have those those heart signs. Irritability, restlessness, insomnia, delirious speech, loss of consciousness. Those are signs that heat is entering the heart. So it makes sense that Di Huang would clear that out as part of uh, treating shui-level heat. But we also will use it in other formulas where we want to clear heart heat. I don't know if you remember, in the last category, we talked about heart heat. Pouring into the small intestine, causing urination problems. And our formula, our, our single herb we used there was Danjuye, bland bamboo leaf. But that was a formula, part of a formula called Daocher san, guide out the red powder. And so it turns out the chief herb in Chur san, guide out the red powder, is Shenggi Huang. I'm pointing to a slide that's not there. It's Shenggi Huang. So we have Shenggi Huang clearing the heart heat. And then we also have that Danjuye, bland bamboo leaf also clearing heart heat for heart heat pouring into the small intestine. So even though we don't mention it here as one of the functions, I think it's kind of safe to say that Shangdi Huang also has this function of clearing heart heat. Take a look at the dosage. The dosage is a little bit higher than average. It is 9 to 15 grams, and again, um, this is because it's a thick, dense root. If you have your herb sample, this is a root. It's very uh, thick it's very, it's kind of sticky. Like it it used to be juicy and then they dried it out and now it's kind of sweet and sticky. So it's kind of a heavier herb. So it's not really like a mineral that's really heavy, but it's a dense root. So it's getting into that territory where we need a larger dosage just because it's a denser herb. So Di Huang, a little bit higher than average dosage. And then something we want to pay attention to in terms of cautions and contraindications, Shangdi Huang, it's not only cold, it's sweet, and we say it's cloying. It's almost sickly sweet. It has a cloying nature that's very difficult to digest. And this is kind of true of, this is somewhat true of all tonics. It's especially true of Shengdi Huang, that it's this rich, sweet, sticky, cloying nature that can give you problems in the middle jowl when you're trying to digest it. And so that's something you have to watch out for, that when you give the syrup, it might cause some upset stomach, some nausea, vomiting, loose stool, or just uh, upset stomach. And so we have to be careful about that. And one way we can moderate that is by adding in herbs that help move things through the middle jowl. So if you were in intro class, I think we learned chen pi, tangerine peel, regulates qi and helps move things through. And so that can moderate some of this sticky cloying nature. We can also use things like Shanja, uh Sha Ren in the aromatic transformed dampness category also moves things through the middle jowl. And so we basically we have to add in some herbs that help out the middle jowl so that this herb can be digested. And so that's something to watch out for, that especially if you're using this like in a yin tonic, if somebody has yin deficiency and you end up giving them shung di huang to tonify yin, it could be that they take it for a week and it works really well, they're really happy, they're getting good results, but then as they continue to take it, they start getting some tummy problems, either some loose stool, some diarrhea, or just an upset stomach. And they're like, why, why is this happening? It's probably because of the shung di huang. They're having trouble digesting it. So we either have to modify the dosage, modify the formula, or add in some herbs that help out with digesting it. As for the name, sheng di huang, uh, technically di means earth and huang means yellow. So di huang means earth yellow, but really that's just the name of the plant foxglove in Chinese. So di huang is just the name of the plant. I'm not sure the meaning hasn't has much significance. We should pay attention to the first character there is sheng. In this uh, context, sheng means raw. So, this is raw Romania root, and we need to point that out because later we'll learn cooked Romania root or prepared Romania root called shu di huang. If you go back to our video on pao zhi, the methods of preparation, we said that sheng means raw, shu means cooked or prepared. So later, in the tonify blood category, we're going to learn shu di huang, prepared Romania root. And that one is steamed in wine and then dried, and that gives it an action of tonifying blood. It, it makes it a little bit warmer in temperature because you're cooking it, but it also gives it this action of instead of cooling the blood, it tonifies blood. So we need to be able to differentiate between shung di huang, raw Ramania, and shu di huang, prepared Ramania. But that's something we'll get into later. So for now, we can just say shengdi huang, raw Romania. It's in the cool the blood category, also tonifies yin. And a lot of times when people refer to this herb, they'll just drop off the last character and they drop off the huang and they just call it sheng Di. So if somebody says sheng Di or shudi, just know that they mean shengdi huang or shudi huang. It's very common that we just drop off characters when we talk about herbs. So that is sheng Di Huang, Romani erratics, two major functions. It cools the blood for blood-level heat. We often combine it with those rhinoceros horn or water buffalo horn to treat yin or shui-level heat. And also a very important function is it nourishes yin and generates fluid. So that is sheng Di Huang. Next is actually a very similar herb, Shan shuan shen, scrofularia radix. Pay attention to the Latin name here, scrofularia radix. shuan shen, shuan shen, scrofularia radix. So again, when we look at at least the first two functions, it looks very similar to Huang. This clears heat and cools the blood to treat blood level heat like every herb in this category. So we didn't mention it, but we mean those same symptoms of yin level heat or shui level heat high fever, worse at night, irritability, restlessness, insomnia, delirium, possible faint rashes or definite distinct rashes, and bleeding. So very similar to Shengdi Huang in that regard. It also nourishes yin and generates fluids, same as Shengdi Huang. Here we might say if it has a specialty, we would say it's for the aftermath of a warm disease where we have dryness. Again, this heat is coming in and damaging the yin, damaging the fluids. So we can have things like dry cough, constipation, or irritability. And so it's kind of like we had one of these febrile diseases. We had uh, heat came in and attacked us at the wei level or at the chi level or at the yin level, and we had all this heat, and this heat was damaging the yin. We uh, used our herbs and we got rid of the heat, so the heat is gone but we still have this damaged fluid that we have to deal with. So we have these lingering symptoms of dryness like dry cough, thirst, and constipation. So that's what we mean here when we say nourishes yin and generate fluid for the aftermath of warm disease. We're talking about we got rid of the heat, but we still have this uh, dryness lingering around. So that's when we use shuan shen scrofularia radix. What's also interesting about this one is it can soften hardness and dissipate nodules, especially for nodules in the throat, for things like swelling of the throat, lumps in the neck, and goiter and scrofula. So remember that the Chuan Shen is scrofularia radix, and it's good for scrofula. I believe scrofula is specifically, um, Something that happens with tuberculosis, when you get tuberculosis, you get this bacterial infection, goes into the lung, and then it causes swelling of the lymph nodes in the neck. So I think scrofula is very specific, but we really just mean any kind of ne- uh, lumps or swellings in the neck, like goiter or uh, throat pain and swelling in the throat. So you can say scrofularia, radix, uh, scrofularia, street scrofula, but just think neck symptoms, including painful throat and swelling of the throat. And so what's interesting here is a uh, taste and temperature similar to Sheng Yi Huang. It's cool in temperature. It's both sweet and bitter. Bitter flavor clears heat. Sweet because it nourishes yin and generates body fluids. But we also say it's salty in flavor. It's salty in flavor because it has this action of softening hardness. So at least for me, that's a question I like to ask a lot is, what is the taste and temperature of Shuan because when I ask you what's the taste and temperature of shuan shen, what I'm really asking you is, do you know the functions of this herb? That if you know it clears heat and cools the blood, you should be able to know that it's bitter in flavor. If you know that it nourishes yin and generates fluids, you should know that it's sweet in flavor. And if you can remember that it softens hardness, then you know that it's salty in flavor. So when I ask you what's the taste and temperature of shuan shen, I'm really asking, do you remember the functions of this herb? So that's shuan Shen scrofularia radix. The name of this herb, shuan, I believe in this context means dark. I think it also means like hidden or something like that, but here it just means dark, referring to the color. And shen means root, like ginseng is ren shen, man root. So here shuan means dark, shen means root. This is dark root. So maybe you can remember that uh, shuan shen and sheng di huang look very similar. They're both roots that are Black in color, and so they have very similar functions. The one we want to know is, um, Shen is also salty in flavor for treating scrofula. So that's Xuan Shen scrofularia radix. Next is Mudan P, Mutan Cortex. Mudan P, Mutan Cortex. Mutan P, Mutan Cortex. This is peony root bark. So I guess peony is a tree and there are roots to that tree and the roots have bark. So this is the bark of a peony root tree. P means bark or peel. So we'll go through this, but basically what we want to know about mudon pee, what makes this herb special, what makes it stand out is it not only cools the blood, it also invigorates blood as well. So we're getting kind of a two in one. So this is really good because a lot of times we'll have these two things go together, that uh, blood heat and stagnation, that when there's heat in the blood, that can dry out the blood and cause it to stagnate. So we have a combination of heat and stagnation. Or sometimes when blood stagnates, it creates heat. That stagnation kind of festers there, and it creates heat, so we have stagnation and heat. Well, regardless of the situation, here we have an herb that treats both things at once. So if we see this condition of a combined heat and stagnation, instead of having to use one herb that clears the heat and one herb that moves the stagnation, here we can use one herb that does both. So mudan pea, definitely remember that it both cools the blood and invigorates blood. That's very important to know. So we say that Mudan Pi, like every herb in this category, it clears heat and cools the blood. So we use it for heat in the yin or shui levels. But it's also very common to use it in women's health issues. Remember when we talked about all those types of bleeding that include included uterine bleeding or bleeding that comes with abnormal menses, either profuse bleeding, like really heavy periods where you have to change your pad every half an hour, it could be prolonged bleeding or it's like, oh, my period is lasting like eight or nine days. That's not normal. Or it could be um, spotting between periods that my period ended. And then a week later, I get the spotting around day 14. Uh, sometimes you um, there's this term in Chinese that I, I believe they translate as flooding and splotting or flooding and trickling. And the idea here is you have a, a, a the normal length period but it's flooding that's really heavy flow it's like a flood gushing out and then they say flooding and spotting that after the period's over the the flooding stops but you're still like spotting for days or weeks afterwards i should like not gesture downward when i talk about periods it's just a habit sorry about that but anyway Mudon P is very useful specifically for this uh, uterine bleeding or, uh, we could say, OBGYN issues due to blood heat. Then like we said, the second important thing is that it not only cools blood, it also invigorates blood to treat blood stagnation. And again, this is really useful. When we're talking about women's health issues that these ob-gyn conditions that when we have these problems with menstruation it's also it's very common that blood stagnation is a culprit so it's very so you'll see this come herb come up a lot when you start talking about formulas for women's health or formulas for OBGYN conditions uh, amenorrhea means the period is not coming so if a person So basically, if a patient comes in and says, I haven't had my period, like I'm supposed to have my period, but it hasn't come yet, we could call that um, uh, amenorrhea, the period stopped. And basically here, there are are usually two possibilities. Either there's blood deficiency, there's not enough blood to produce a period, or there's blood stagnation, meaning the blood is there, but it's stuck and it's not coming out. So the patient comes in and says, I haven't had my period. Um, Kind of a weird side note. Uh this is like a this is like a just a thing that I do, so be very skeptical of this. But basically, uh when I'm dealing with a, a patient that hasn't had their period, of course, the first question you ask is, Is there any possibility you could be pregnant? But then what I usually ask is, how do you know that your period is late? Like uh when you when you say you haven't had your period yet, how did you know? Is it that uh, you wrote you have a calendar or you, you have your uh, you have the, the the right number of pills and according to the calendar you should have your period and it hasn't come yet. Or is it that you have symptoms like PMS type symptoms that have been going on for a long time and you know that you should have your period because your body is telling you there's this period in here and it needs to come out. And so sometimes you get people that are like, oh, if I didn't look in the calendar, I wouldn't have known. Probably more like blood deficiency. There's not enough blood to produce a period. But sometimes you have people coming in being like, I've been a raging bitch for the last two weeks. I have all this cramp. It feels like there's a demon stabbing my uterus and I have all these PMS symptoms and like my period is there. It just won't come out. It's like the, the period version of constipation. And that, I would say, is more like blood stagnation. And you just have to figure out what's causing the stagnation. Is it just blood stagnation? Is it cold stagnation? Anyway, kind of a, a weird tangent. But what we want to know is Mudan pea is going to be very useful for treating OBGYN conditions because it does two things for the blood. It cools the blood, and it also invigorates blood. And then after that, uh, Mudan pea is a cold, bitter herb, so it just clears various types of heat in the body. So we can say it clears liver heat, especially liver heat that's flaring upward. So we say ascendant liver heat or liver yang rising, headache, eye pain, uh uh, dysmenorrhea, painful menses because of heat. Um, so this can clear out that liver heat. One example of this would be we have our our most famous formula for liver qi stagnation. is called San, free and easy Wanderer decoction, or rambling powder. So San is very good for liver qi stagnation. Well, it turns out if your patient has liver qi stagnation and that's causing heat, that qi is stagnant and it causes heat and causes the heat to flare upward, we can modify Xiao Yao San and it's called jiawei Xiao Yao San, or more descriptively, Don jur Xiao Yao San. So here we have the Xiao Yao San treating liver tea stagnation. Zi clears heat, and mudan pi clears heat as well. So when we say dan jur, dan means mudan pi, jur means Zi, and shao yao san. So that's a we'll use this herb in conjunction with uh, herbs that move liver qi to take care of that heat. So, that would be one example of using mudan pi to clear liver heat. Clears deficiency heat. Again, we're, um, we're going to see this come up in a lot of our yin tonifying formulas like Liu Wei Di Huang six ingredient with Romania pill, that it's going to be there because it clears some, some heat, some deficiency heat. So, we'll combine this with yin tonifying herbs. Also drains pus and reducing swelling. You can use it topically. You can use it for large intestine. Yeah, that's that's technically true. Um, we do have a we do have a couple formulas when we start talking about large intestine abscess or appendicitis. The mudon p does come up in there, so that's that's true. But it's I would say this is a more special case. So if you remember anything about mudon p, I would know two things: know that it cools the blood and invigorates blood. This stuff is kind of extra. But the two main things are it cools blood and invigorates blood. And so we see that in the taste and temperature. Of course, it's slightly cold because because it's clearing heat. But it's bitter because a bitter flavor clears heat and drains fire. It's acrid because the acrid flavor moves and disperses. So if I were to ask you, what's the taste and temperature of on pea, what I'm really asking you is, do you remember the functions of on pea? If you remember that on pea clears heat and cools the blood, you should know that that's bitter in flavor. If you remember that mudon pea also invigorates blood, that should tell you that it's also acrid in flavor because the acrid flavor moves and disperses. It moves the blood and disperses stagnation. So that's why we have... Uh, those, t- those tastes associated with Mudan P. Uh The other thing we can point out here, um, oh, no, that's not important. Mudan P, it's we just, we're just saying it's special because it does those two things. It cools blood and invigorates blood, so it's very common to use in OBGYN conditions, is all we're saying in that note down there. As for the name, Mudan is just referring to the plant, the peony tree, um, Don means this character means like cinnabar. Mu I don't remember what it means, but p pee means peel. So this is a bark or a peel or a cortex. So this is the peel of the peony tree root. So that's mu dan p. Remember those two things: mu dan p, mu dan cortex. And lastly, we have zao zao are nebia or radix when we have two uh, third tones in a row, the first one converts to a second tone. So and also uh, apologies to Chinese speakers. My, my C's are very bad. A lot of times I've been around Chinese people and I try to say with a C and it sounds like I'm saying like So sorry, I just have very bad pronunciation. Really, when you make the C sound in Chinese, it sounds like a T-S. And you should feel, um, when you say it, you should feel air hitting your hands. So, you should feel this air hitting your palm. And so, like a pizza. Pizza. Anyway. Uh, means purple. means herb. This is a purple herb. And really, uh, the thing I would remember about tzitzal is it's good for rashes. So if you see tzitzal, think skin conditions, itchiness, and rashes. You can even remember that tzitzal means purple herb, tz means purple, so it's especially good for purple rashes. Or like we talked about those purpura or purpuric rashes, which are, it's bleeding under the skin. But, so tzitzal is good for purple rashes or really any type of rash. So Zitzal, like everything here, um, it cools the blood. This one, we actually say it cools blood and invigorates blood. Um, yeah, it does. This is, this is kind of like an annoying thing that people argue with me about. It turns out in Bensky, like at the, at the beginning, he has this key characteristics and in his key characteristics he said it cools and invigorates blood. But then when he starts elaborating on the functions, he never mentions invigorating blood again. So it's it's like it's technically there, but I'm not really sure you'd use the it as so. a major blood invigorator. Certainly not the way you would use on P. So we we can say it cools blood and invigorates blood, but it's not as strong as mudon P. But its specialty in cooling blood is treating rashes. Remember we talked about... Um, These dark purple rashes, that's like bleeding under the skin. So we can say skin eruption and rashes due to uh, heat in the blood or fire toxin. Uh, So yeah, specialty is rashes. We can also say it moistens the large intestine and promotes urination. Yeah, it does that. I'm not sure we would use it for that specifically. Uh, I think this is more like if you have a rash due to heat, it's very likely that you have constipation at the same time. So that's is going to be taking care of both. And then we can also say it treats damp heat skin problems for itchiness and rashes. So kind of the uh, overlying theme here with Zutzao is it's good for skin problems and rashes. Whether we're talking about blood level heat, whether we're talking about fire toxicity, or whether we're talking about damp heat, whatever the type of heat, Zutzao is good for rashes. So here we can say um, vaginal itching. We can even say burns. That Zutzao is good for burns, sores, or diaper rash. And so here we have this note here, um, a couple things about zutzao and rashes. and maybe this can help you remember that Zitsao is good for skin problems. Number one, uh, Zitsao is good for um, it's kind of used as like a home remedy for diaper rash. And so what you would do is you would take some Zitzao and you would just soak it in oil, sesame oil, for a couple weeks. And then you can just take the oil and apply it on with a cotton ball. And that's that's kind of a, a common kind of like folk remedy for diaper rash. So this one you don't you don't have to cook it or you don't have to do anything fancy with it. You could just take the zitzal and soak it in oil, and uh after a couple of weeks the oil will kind of turn purplish, and then you can apply that externally as um a treatment for diaper rash. Because in uh diaper rash, it's like that skin problem, that itchiness, but I think it's also uh, there's some dampness involved here just because you have a diaper next to the skin and it's trapping in all the moisture. So that kind of rash is, we're kind of implying that it's damp heat. So Zitzao is good for damp heat skin conditions like diaper rash. We can also say that um, Zitzao is an ingredient in a type of burn cream. In Chinese, this is an external cream called Yun Gao, Purple cloud ointment. In Japanese, it's called shunko. And so, if you're with a Japanese practitioner, it's very common that they'll use this ointment called shunko. And that's what they use as a base when they do rice grain moxa. That Japanese style practitioners, especially, like to do a lot of rice grain moxa. In order to get the moxa to stick, they'll put down some burn cream first. And at least the practitioners I've seen, do that, they use Shunko. And Shunko is just a preparation of this herb, Zsao, plus dongwe. Dongwe also tonifies blood, invigorates blood, and regenerates flesh. And you um, cook them in oil, and then you add beeswax to kind of make it a little bit more solid. And that makes an ointment that you can spread on the skin. And so that can be used as a burn cream. That can be used for uh, other types of skin problems because it's clearing heat, cooling the blood, Invigorating blood and regenerating flesh, so we can use that topically as like a a burn cream. I would say like if you're actually treating burns, it's it's okay, it works. But if you can get the Qing Hong Wan, that stuff works better. The the stuff in the little red can. I for burns, I actually like that better. But some people, a lot of people, do use Yun Gao Purple Cloud Ointment or Shunko. Uh, as a burn cream. So as for the name, 子草, like we said, means purple, 草 means grass or herb, so 子草 is purple herb. I think we're going to see the uh, the colors come up a lot. I think so far we, we've seen 子草, purple reviving leaf, so 子 means purple. Here we have another purple, 子草, later we'll learn purple flower, ding. So 子 means purple, 子草 means purple herb. And that's kind of weird because when you look at this herb sample in this picture, it doesn't look very purple. So it turns out the the reason I use this picture is because this is the herb sample I had when I was in school. And so if you're doing herb ID from your school, it's possible that this is what your sample looks like. It turns out that this is not true And so if you go into Bensky, he actually has a section where he has some pictures of herbs and he talks about... Uh, common uh, counterfeits, or we call them adulterated herbs, where it's like people got the wrong herb. And this is something, if you uh, if you know Eric Brand, this is something that he knows a lot about, is like, how do we know that we're getting the true authentic version of the herb? But anyway, this is a very common counterfeit or common adulterant of this herb that is actually a slightly different herb. So if your herb looks like this, it's not true zitzau. Real zitzau actually does look purple. So this is the real zitzau. So this is one, when I was in school, we had a sample. Our sample wasn't the correct one, but when we went into the herb room, we did have the real zitzau, and you can tell it looks very different. It definitely looks, um, first of all, this one, it's a lithospermy radix. It's a root. This looks like a fuzzy thing. This doesn't look like a root. This one looks more like a root, and it looks a little bit more purple in color. I'm kind of colorblind, but I'm pretty sure that this is a little bit more purple than the other one. The other thing is if you have a bag of it or a jar, if you open the jar and smell it, this does not smell very nice. It has a very acidic has kind of a foul putrid smell. So that's a way you know if you if you have real zithoul, it should have a strong smell that's not necessarily pleasant. So that's a that's zitzel, This is what the real zithoul looks like, but if you have um if you have an herb sample If you like, we would always just get like a box of herbs that had like a hundred herb samples in it that we had to be able to identify. That's what our herb sample looked like. If you go to an herb shop and your herb looks like that, that's not real Zitzel, that's counterfeit Zitzel. So after that, um, we can maybe talk about some formula applications of these herbs because, like we said, this herb, this category, uh, herbs that cool the blood... The most famous application of these herbs is in our Wen Bing theory, when we're talking about heat going through the four levels or the four aspects, Wei level, Qi level, Ying level, Shui level. We use these herbs for both the Ying level and the Shui level. So even though we call the category herbs that cool the blood, yes, of course, we use it for blood level heat, but we actually use it for nutritive level heat as well. It's just the difference between yin level and shui level is just going to be what other herbs we combine it with. Our treatment principle is a little bit different. And so this is a little bit extra, but just maybe to give you some additional understanding, we can talk about some of the formulas that, um, that we use for Wenbin conditions. So uh, when it comes to nutritive-level heat, Our main formula is qing ying tong, clear the ying level decoction, or clear the nutritive level decoction. So uh, hopefully this is one of the easier ones where when you get to formula class, if you have a test and they're like, what formula do you use to clear heat from the ying level, should be really easy, pick the one that says clear the ying level decoction. So Qing Ying Tong is clear the ying level or clear the nutritive level decoction, and you can see our familiar herbs here. We have He Jiao was traditionally used that was rhinoceros horn. So He Jiao we would use Shuainiao Jiao water buffalo horn, and we're using this pair Shuainiao uh, Jiao plus Sheng Di Huang to clear that to clear the heat from the nutritive or blood level. Shuan Shen was our one that's very similar to Sheng Di Huang. And so basically, um, we see our symptoms of yin level heat. High fever that worsens at night, severe irritability and restlessness, possible thirst. The reason we say possible thirst, this is kind of interesting. The possible thirst, it depends on, is the heat completely at the ying level or is there still some lingering at the chi level? Because again, it's like traversing downward deeper into the body. So if we have some heat that's still lingering at the qi level, the patient will feel thirsty because remember, big thirst was one of our symptoms for qi level heat. However, once the heat completely leaves the qi level and is only in the yin level, then the thirst will disappear. It's like that heat is deep enough, it starts to steam the fluids up, that the patient doesn't feel thirsty anymore. It's kind of weird, but that's one of our symptoms is possible thirst, delirium, and then we say Faint or indistinct rashes. And again, we have a scarlet dry tongue and a thin rapid pulse for yin level heat. And again, we're using these herbs from the category herbs that cool the blood to treat this yin level heat. It just turns out that we're combining it with some other herbs that kind of vent things outward. So I don't think we've learned very many of these so far. Uh, we did learn Dan ye from the drain fire category, but Jin Yinhua, Lian Chao or kind of like release the exterior herbs. And so What we're trying to do is we're clearing that heat of the yin level, but we're also trying to vent it upwards back into the qi level. So that's we're using these uh, herbs, but we're also trying to use er herbs that uh, push it up a level. Whereas when you get the blood level heat, our formula is jiao di Tang rhinoceros horn, and ramania decoction. So again, hopefully this is pretty simple if anybody asks you. What are the chief ingredients in rhinoceros horn and romania decoction? should be able to answer rhinoceros horn and romania. So again, uh, we have this uh, these familiar herbs. We're again using uh, this pair of Xijiao and Shengdi Huang, so rhinoceros horn and romania to clear blood level heat. And here we're also using our herb Mudan Pea, uh, another herb from this category. So we look at our symptoms. These are symptoms of blood-level heat. We have fever, and our key symptom for blood-level heat is bleeding, vomiting blood, nosebleed, blood in the stool, blood in the urine, rashes, and we're talking about uh, either maculopapular rashes or purpuric rashes, which is basically bleeding under the skin, black tarry stool, means there's blood in the stool, um, possible delirium because the heat is affecting the heart, scarlet tongue with prickles, the heat is so bad, you got like a rash on your tongue even. So anyway, here we're, we're using those very similar herbs, Shijia and Shengdi Huang, but we're not combining it with those venting herbs. When it gets to the blood level, there's really no possibility to vent it back upwards. We have to treat it at the blood level. And it's actually really important that we're using Mudan Pea, because remember we said that Mudan Pea not only cools the blood, it also invigorates blood. And so what's happening here is... We have this heat at the blood level damaging the fluids, damaging the yin. So this heat is actually drying out the blood. And so we not only have blood level heat, we have this kind of dead, dried out blood. So it's not enough to just clear the heat. We also have to invigorate the blood. We have to get it moving. It's it's kind of sluggish. Um... So that's why we use Mudan Pi P to invigorate blood. Chur is another one that has similar properties that it cools blood and invigorates blood. So here with this one, when we get to blood level heat. Our treatment strategy kind of changes a bit. When it was at the ying level, we tried to vent the heat upward. When we're at the blood level, we have to clear the heat from the blood level, but also invigorate the blood. And so that's why Mudan Pi P is important that it both cools the blood and invigorates blood. So if we do a summary, gee, yeah, I don't know if you can read that, but let's do a summary. Uh, we leave out Xi rhinoceros horn, because technically we don't use that herb. It, according to Bensky, it's not in this category. It's moved to the category obsolete substances, which is an appendix at the end. But we do use a uh, Xuanyo Jiao, water buffalo horn, has all the same properties of Xi Jiao. So water buffalo horn. Uh, clears heat and cools the blood for blood-level heat, like we saw in those two other formulas. It clears heart heat because that heat gets into the heart and causes Shen problems like irritability, insomnia, delirium. Um, it can also treat tremors, but I would remember Shui Nyo Jiao, representative herb for blood-level heat. Shengdi Huang is raw Romania root, often combined with Shui Nyo Jiao to treat blood-level heat, so it clears heat and cools the blood. The other thing that we need to know about it is that it nourishes yin and generates body fluids. So Shengdi Huang is bitter because it clears heat, cools the blood. It's sweet because it generates body fluids. Shuan Shen, Scrophularia Radix, same thing as Shengdi Huang, clears heat, cools the blood. Uh, we saw it in our yin level heat formula. And it also uh, tonifies yin, generates body fluids. What we need to know about it. additionally is it softens hardness for things like swelling of the throat, throat pain, goiter, and scrofula. So that's why Schwanzhen is salty in flavor, because it treats those throat nodules. Mudan P, Muton Cortex, what we need to know about this one is it cools the blood and invigorates blood. The fact that it does both makes it very special. The fact that it does both makes it very useful for OBGYN conditions or women's health issues like prolonged menses, uh, painful menses, amenorrhea, things like that. Zitzau is purple herb, think skin problems, so rashes, itchiness, it can even be burns and sores, but zitzau, it cools the blood, but its specialty is treating skin problems and rashes. So that is the category herbs that cool the blood. So again, we're in this category uh, herbs that clear heat. We had, last time we did herbs that drain fire, this time we did herbs that cool the blood. Our next one, I think, is going to be herbs that clear heat and dry dampness. But this was our our review of the category herbs that cool the blood. Thank you for being here. Again, videos like this are brought to you by viewers like you. Thank you. So these videos are made possible thanks to the support of people like our Patreon members. Uh, Patreon members are people who pledge like a monthly donation, usually like $5 a month. And that really helps me out and keeps the keeps this channel going. So uh, if you want to join them in supporting the channel, if you get value out of these videos and you want to show your support, there are a couple ways you can do it. There are some links in the description below. One way is to join the Patreon, that's like a monthly subscription. There's also a link to buy me a coffee if you want to do a one time donation. That's just a one time thing instead of a monthly thing. There's also merchandise on the website if you want some of those T-shirts that I had if we uh if you go to tcmstudy.net under resources there's some merchandise if you want one of these uh shirts that says this is the way uh which i think i wore in a different one that's like an easy way to do it Uh, Another way you can do it is uh, if you will buy your textbooks through here, these are links to Amazon, these are affiliate links. So if you go here and click on one of those links, anything you buy on Amazon within the next 24 hours, it will give me a very small discount or a very small uh, commission like four and a half, five percent So I know people are, I know a lot of people are like anti Amazon, but if you're into buying things on Amazon, this is uh, something you can do that will uh, also help support the site. There also, we should mention that um, what we did here was a more thorough review of this category. So, this would be like if you were in class, if you were taking an Herbology 1 class and you had a quiz on this one category, this is a very thorough review of this category. If you're studying for year ends, if you're studying for your clinic entrance exams, or if you're studying for your boards, this is probably a little bit too in-depth. If you want something that's a little bit quicker, just a quick review of all the herbs, there are also uh, review courses on the website. So if you go here, uh, go to review courses, there's one review course for single herbs that goes through all the single herbs, I think 283 single herbs. And there's a formula review course that goes over all the formulas on the NCCUM list. So if you want more of an overview of all the herbs, this is a much more, this is a quicker overview where we'll go through entire sections of Benski in in less than an hour. So this has uh, handouts that summarize all of the herbs. It has uh, video lectures for each category that kind of goes through quick and it has some uh, practice tests for each of the categories. So we have like a, a 56 questions. So that's another way you can support the website is by looking at those uh, review courses. That also keeps the channel going. Like I said, if you wanna download uh, the slides that go along with this, those are on the website. We also have flashcards that um, go along with this category. And if you want, you can take a practice test. So I think if you go down here to herbs that cool the blood, uh, there are the slides here. There are flashcards. There are three versions of the, of the flashcards. Some of them have pictures and little emojis on them. If you want to use up all your color ink, you can print those, or they're just black and white ones. But we can also go down here, herbs that cool the blood. There's a practice test. And so if you want to uh, practice, you can take a test. What's the taste and temperature of mudon P? Well, remember mudon P, it's probably going to be cool in temperature because we're in the clear heat and cool the blood category. So it's probably going to be cool in temperature. So cross out the warm, cross out the neutral. And then if we remember the functions of mudon P, we said that mudon P cools the blood. So it's going to be bitter in flavor and mudon P invigorates blood. So it's going to be acrid in flavor. So we can kind of just knowing the temperature, we can cross out some of these, but we want the uh, acrid and bitter for mudon P. Besides clearing heat, what's another important function of Sheng Di Huang? Sheng Di Huang, remember it—it um, it, uh, clears heat and cools the blood, but it's also very useful in our Yin tonifying formula. So Shu Di Huang enriches Yin and moistens dryness. So if you want to take a short test, that's available on the website as well. If there are any questions, let me know in the comments or in the chat, and we'll get to those. Other than that, we'll see you next time.